Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So please open to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs, living wisely in God's world. We have to always remember that this is not our world, it's God's world. And he has the best plan for each of us. And in order for us to live wisely, to walk wisely, to do well in this world according to his standards, we need to know what his instructions are. And we thank God that he's given us his instruction manual, the Bible, and especially the book of Proverbs, which, which just um, teaches us so many of the things that we're going to come up against in this world and how to walk in them and how to glorify him through that. Tonight, in addition to an intro to the Proverbs, we're going we're gonna to jump into Proverbs chapter 1 and we're going to see how far we get. We should, uh, we should get through the whole thing. So as an introduction, we're going to look at several different aspects of the book of Proverbs. Like, what are the dates that it was written? Who are the authors of this book? Where does this book fit into the different categories of biblical literature? What topics are discussed in the Proverbs? And how does it apply to our life today? Something that we always want to try to do is make application. And more than most books in the Bible, this book just makes application so, um, just so readily to us. Most of the Proverbs are attributed to Solomon, who ruled from 970 to 930 B.C. Some were undoubtedly original of his. Uh, some he may have collected from other sources. Um, so as we discuss the dates and authorship in Proverbs 1.1, right off the bat we see the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So we see right at the beginning of this book um, the authorship being uh, set forth. Um, it's likely that the book took its present form in uh, the time during Hezekiah's reign in 715 to 686 B.C., we see that in Proverbs 25, where it says, there are all, there, These also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So we get a picture of the authors and the date of the time of the writing of the book of Proverbs in, the, in, that, in those verses there. We see the timeline here of the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, uh, three out of four that were written by Solomon. The dates are kind of uncertain, but they, they occur uh, during those times, like 1000 B.C. to 800 B.C., during the time that First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings were also written, and First and Second Chronicles. So we see a lot of books sort of coming together at the same time. And I think it's I think it's great that we're going through First Kings also on Wednesdays. We gonna, we're going to get to see a little bit of that um, dichotomy maybe between the Proverbs and uh, the rule of Solomon and uh, how he 
Maybe he didn't even take his own advice very well. Proverbs is part of poetic uh, literature in the Bible or wisdom literature. Now, wisdom literature isn't uh, exclusive to the Bible. Wisdom literature is found in most cultures and religions throughout history. And uh, poetry uh, continues to be used in all cultures to express the thoughts or ideas of a people or a culture in a way that uh, people can receive it well, uh, in a way that maybe they could memorize it well. So we see that, we see that this technique was used in many, different, in many different cultures and religions. In fact, a lot of sayings that we, that we uh, get today uh, that were attributed to the Bible really aren't found in the Bible at all. For instance, spare the rod and spoil the child. Now, there is uh, some Proverbs that kind of give us that idea, but that particular, those particular wording is not found in the Scriptures. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, we hear that and we kind of hear a lot of people attribute that particular uh, uh, those words to the scriptures, but they're not really found there. The ideas may be found there, but those words aren't. God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. I think actually the Bible teaches us that God helps those who depend on him, who, who count on him, who go to him, who put our faith and trust in him, and who are uh, not depending on themselves. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, I think that that's a good saying, uh, but it's not found in the scriptures. Uh, God works in mysterious ways, and although that may be true in the way that we see how God works, we may not, um, we may not exactly know what he's doing or why he's doing it, so we consider maybe that those things are mysterious to us, but those, that, that line is not actually in the scriptures. Okay, so is it in the Bible or is it not? Moderation in all things. Is that in the Bible? You can answer out if you want. Yes, no? Aristotle. Aristotle's doctrine of the mean is where that idea or that thought comes from and those words that were attributed to Aristotle. The idea being is that the, the, to find the middle ground for instance, between excess and deficiency. An example of this would be courage being the happy medium between the extreme of rash action and the deficiency of fear. So that, that phrase where they sum up um, Aristotle's teachings, moderation in all things, it's frequently misunderstood. As a matter of fact, some people would reason that we could approach all things in moderation, even the bad things, so that a moderate amount of a bad thing would be okay. But I think uh, Scripture teaches us something different. You know, although there's no direct quote matching moderation in all things, Paul uses a similar idea. He says here in uh, 1 Corinthians, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for the imperishable, 1 Corinthians. So Paul's making reference here um, about really being self-controlled, moderate or temperate in all things, is, is being self-disciplined. Now, So you can see how that, that original quote by Aristotle 
can be taken and it almost means the opposite of what Paul was trying to say, a bit different than Aristotle's wisdom. When prompting people to, find, to follow their own conscience, we've heard, to thine own self be true, right? But that's not in the scriptures either. As a matter of fact, that's found in Hamlet by Shakespeare. Polonius is in the midst of dispensing advice to his son Laertes when he gives this advice. And the opposite of that, and I think along with, along with uh, not doing things in your own wisdom, but doing things in God's wisdom, is what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. So Polonius' advice really is not very good advice for us as believers because our hearts can be wicked and our consciences can be misinformed. But God's ways are always the best ways. So the book of Proverbs will help guide us through those things. Solomon, who wrote most of the Proverbs, was given a special gift from God. And it says here in 1 Kings 4, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled all the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Now, we only have 31 proverbs that were written down for us. Um, not all of them are Solomon's. Most of them are. So he spoke 3,000 proverbs. I guess um, there was some editing that God did. Uh, not all of them were worthy I guess, to, uh, to put into the Bible. And he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. And he spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth, who had heard his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So Solomon's wisdom is God's God-given, God-inspired wisdom. You know, much, much of the wisdom uh, that God gives for everyday living can be found in the book of Proverbs. And, you know, this, this verse here tells us th that although biblical literature and a lot of things, when compared to the wisdom that God gives, it falls, falls far short. In Psalms, which we just went through, they re it really represents the emotion of man toward God. We see a lot of that in the book of Psalms as he pours, as the psalmist pours out his heart toward God. Proverbs then takes that and it puts feet on it. So we get to see how to actually relate. We take that vertical relationship with God and we apply it to our horizontal relationships with other people. God never intended for us to be cloistered in some monastery as Christians, but to go out into the world and relate with others, develop relationships, have families, go to, go to jobs, and live in communities. So all those things, 
All of those subjects are given time and space as we will see in the book of Proverbs. Uh, the language of the Proverbs, here we see there's three major types of Hebrew poetry. There's lyrical poetry that, that was meant to be accompanied by music, which is mostly what the Psalms were. There's instructional po poetry, which is to teach principles of living, which is the majority of the Proverbs are instructional poetry. And then there's dramatic poetry, a story told in poetic form, usually to, to get a point across. It's done in that, in that way. And then two main literary techniques in the poetical books. There's parallelism, which is the matching of ideas. And now parallelism could take several forms. It could be synonymous parallelism, which means that the two ideas are similar. It could be antithetic parallelism, which means that the ideas contrast each other, but they relate to one another in some way. And then there's figures of speech that are used in the, in the language in the, of the Proverbs, where like similes are a comparison between two things that are not alike, or hyperbole, which is deliberate overstatement for the sake of emphasis. So we're going to see all of these things as we study through the book of Proverbs. Some of the topics that are covered, just about everything that we can think of that we deal with in this life, child-rearing, family life, friendship, laziness, poverty and the poor, social obligations, wealth and work are all covered. And then here there's a moral menu of Proverbs, all of those things, positive traits and negative traits, they're all covered in the book of Proverbs. So if anybody questions how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to walk in any given situation, the Proverbs will probably cover it. Solomon received wisdom from God in all things pertaining to human relationships, and then he took those things and he wrote them down for our benefit. In Second Chronicles 1, it says, On that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? And in verse 10, Solomon says, Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Solomon asked for the right thing. He asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. Um, before we jump into Proverbs 1, one more thing about man's wisdom from the Apostle Paul. And I think as we read this verse, we have to consider something and probably settle something in our hearts before we go through this study. And that is that we are not smarter than God. You know, it seems simplistic, but it's something that we, I think we have to settle in our hearts and our minds before we study it because there's going to be a lot of wisdom dispensed throughout the book of Proverbs. And we need to kind of get it in our mind that um, God's smarter than us. He has, he has all the answers. You know, we may be intelligent, we may have wisdom, we may have knowledge, um, but God's, God's wisdom is always the best. So Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians 2, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, please open to Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. So we've already established that Solomon is the author here. Now the next few verses, we have the purpose of the Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. So the action words in those verses, to know is to gain insight through teaching. Important for us to walk in a way that's both glorifying to God and and also beneficial to us. Uh, You know, uh, most of the uh, Proverbs will give instructions that it'll actually be for our benefit also. And we get that from, uh, from the Bible and from the book of Proverbs. To perceive is to sense something or to recognize it. This is godly discernment, which we need every day to guide us through the world. To receive is to obtain. Another word for gathering wisdom for daily use, not just for head knowledge. And that's something that I think is important to note that we can be really filled with so much knowledge of the Scriptures, but if it's only head knowledge, we've got to put feet on that. We have to go out into this world, and we have to put feet on those things that we learn. And then to give. This is the discipleship aspect of the Proverbs. As something is given, it is done in order to pour what one person has learned into another. So we, we give as wisdom is given to us, we give wisdom to others through the Scriptures. Solomon also gives us the idea that instruction received early in one's life is best. We see here in, in, verse, in verse 4, he speaks of the young man gaining knowledge and discretion. Verses 5 and 6, A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. So, in verse 5 here, he speaks of the wise man and a man of understanding. He's speaking of here is someone who desires to learn. Someone who's teachable is someone who's wise and a man of understanding. You know, it's almost, uh, you know, it's almost seems like they're the opposite of one another. But if you're wise, you'll want to learn. You'll have a desire, you'll have an open heart and an open mind to learn things. And this is, this, is what the, uh, uh, this is what Solomon is talking about here. A wise man will hear and increase learning. Be wise, he's saying. Be, be a man of understanding. Be a woman of understanding. Be, have an open heart. Have an open mind to what God has for you. Don't think that you always know best. This is, this is the instruction that he's giving here. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Solomon here is giving two foundational rules to live by. Fear God and obey your parents. I think we can just 
give our kids those instructions. If we could give them those two things when they're real young and they stick with them, boy, that'll go far in their life. Fearing the Lord is giving Him reverence. Giving Him that reverence that He deserves. And it also includes serving, worshiping, and obeying God. If we do that, we'll be on our way to gaining the knowledge needed to attain an abundant life. You know, Jesus said, I come to give you a life abundant. And God wants that for us. Knowledge and wisdom are similar, but not exactly the same. You know, if you think about all of the knowledge that we have available to us in the world today, more than ever before, we have an overabundance, I believe, of knowledge. Wisdom is a different story. Wisdom is, uh, is not as prevalent, I think, in this world. Wisdom is taking that knowledge and rightly applying it to our lives and to the lives of others. So we see here that fearing the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Obviously, if, uh, if that's the case, the opposite will bring foolishness. In Psalm 14, the psalmist says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So we see that, you know, we, this book is going to teach us so many times that God desires for us to be wise, not foolish. Obeying your parents. Now, this also assumes that your parents are reverencing God and giving Him what He is due. You know, on the other side of it, severe damage can be done when parents instruct their children in ways that contradict God's ways. You know, children are very impressionable, and yet they're very teachable. That's why God gives great emphasis of the training up of children from a young age. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in, the, child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we see here, right off the bat in, in the first proverb, that, that uh, the desire to gain knowledge, to gain it at as young an age as we can. You know, I wish that I had come to the Scriptures, come to the Lord sooner than I did. I would have had so many less years of floundering and wandering around, not knowing where I was going in this world if I had come sooner to the Lord. So coming at an early age is something that's important. We can gain knowledge from a lot of different sources. You know, we've been speaking a lot lately about hearing different voices, you know, and, um, you know, and which voice we're going to give attention to in our lives. Solomon here cautions in the next few verses, cautions us to avoid those people who would lead you down the wrong path. My son, in verse 10, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. You know, if somebody comes up to you and, and offers you that, uh, you would hopefully not consent to it. Most of the time, people will come up to you and they'll, it'll, it'll be sort of, it'll be shrouded. It won't be as clear as that. They won't come up and say, come on, let's go shed blood and, and steal from people. But verse 10, what it's, what it's doing there is instructing us to be careful who we associate with. You know, as parents, 
we we always tell our children, you know, to be careful who they hang out with. But it's not just for youth. You know, it's for us as we as we get older. You know, it seems so simple, you know, not to get in with the wrong crowd, not to hang out with the wrong people, not to associate with those who who uh, you know, would do wicked things. But sometimes we have a lot of trouble obeying this command. Sometimes the pull of other people is there and really strong. The temptations of other people come uh, from different sources and different places, and they come daily. So we have to constantly be aware. Solomon presents a scene here in these verses where they don't even try to hide their intentions. They just come right out with it. But there's always a promised payoff, isn't there? In verses 13 and 14, he says that these wicked people that are trying to entice you to do something, they say, we shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us and let us all have one purse. You know, that temptation there to, to get you to just do something that, you, that is, is not right. Something will always be there to try to lure us in and tell us it's worth the risk. Another aspect of the attraction that some people will use to entice you to join in in his sin is the attraction of belonging, you know, being part of a group, having the sense of being accepted, you know, come on with us. You know, we'll we'll put everything we'll pot, we'll put everything into one pot. We'll share and and you know, and you kind of get a sense of belonging, belonging to a group, being accepted by people. You know, that's how that's how people um, will will lead you down the wrong the wrong road. But the payoff is not precious, as it says here. An ill-gotten gain should not be valued. You know, those things that we gain by cheating or stealing or doing something uh, wicked, it's not worth it. Psalm 62.10 says, Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. You know, that he's just telling, he's just telling us there that, that riches gained in that way, don't, don't count on it. Don't count on it. It's not worth it. Verse uh, 15 through 17, it says here, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Continued instruction here to, to be careful who you associate with. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. David began the book of Psalms with a similar warning. He says in Psalm 1, Blessed in the, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So we see that repeated here about being careful who we associate with. And Paul says the same thing in his second letter to the Corinthians. If we go to Second Corinthians 6, Verses 14 through 16, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light 
with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. You know, so we see here that New, Old Testament, New Testament, same instruction for us for our lives. Solomon here humbles us in verse 17. He compares us to a bird who may easily and readily fall into the trap of a hunter. You know, aren't we supposed to be smarter than that? You know, even, you know, we, we insult people by calling them bird brains. But he's saying here, he's comparing us to that. Just falling easily into the trap of, of someone, of a sinner who wants to take us down the wrong path. How easily that can happen if we're not really diligent. God expects us to be wiser than that. And then verse 19 so are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Instead of giving a better life, greedy, self-indulgent actions steal life. Instead of thinking you're going to gain something, you, you actually lose everything. Now we see here another voice calling to us. The voice of wisdom. You know, wisdom in the Proverbs, you'll see many times wisdom is personified. And we can relate to wisdom speaking to us in the first person, giving warning to us, to those who reject her. So in verses 20 through 23, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out. In the chief concourses, the, at the openings of the gates of the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. Solomon is saying here that God's wisdom isn't hidden from us. God's wisdom doesn't play hard to get. It's open. It's available to all of us. And I love what it says here. It says, Wisdom calls aloud outside, raises her voice in the open squares, even in the places you wouldn't expect to find it. God's wisdom is reaching out for us. And He's reaching out to everybody. I think here it's very clear that God wants to give equal opportunity to everyone to obtain wisdom. It's in that relationship with the living God as we study His Word and through prayer that His wisdom is, is imparted to us. He seeks people out to listen to Him. He seeks out the ignorant or naive ones to the Word of God. He seeks those who mock God. He even seeks those who are stubborn atheists who, who hate God. He seeks them. Picture this as we, as we recall these verses here. Wisdom calling aloud, raising her voice, cries out. At the opening of the gates, she speaks her words. Picture this wisdom, this woman, wisdom, coming to you know, the center of Jamesburg on a summer day and just calling aloud in the center of town. All who would listen, would listen you know, giving that invitation 
You know, how long will you love your simplicity? Come and I will pour my spirit upon you, she says. I'll give you wisdom from God. But imagine people just turning their back on that, which is what most people do. At the sound of her voice, if someone responds, God will pour his spirit upon them and give wisdom to them. It's as easy as that, just responding to God. But in verses 24 and 25, it says, Because I've called and you've refused. I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. This is just a sad thing to think about. The scene as we see this woman calling out wisdom personified, going out to the streets, going out to the parks and the malls, and calling in this world for someone to receive the wisdom of God and no one responding. People saying, I'd rather remain ignorant. I'd rather remain uh, naive. I don't, and th- that way I don't have to be responsible for my actions. Maybe that's what they're thinking. You know, or maybe they're saying, I've seen Christians suffering and doing wicked things themselves. Why would I want a relationship with God? I've seen hypocrites that call themselves Christians. I don't want that, if that's what that wisdom will bring. Or some people just say, I I just don't believe it. I can't believe it. And they refuse to hear what God has to offer. And that is, if you think of that scene, people just walking by, paying no attention, not responding, rejecting God's gift, God's offer of wisdom and knowledge. If you think of that and then think that, you know, God has an answer for them. You know, while man laughs at God, God will show them what their wisdom will produce. Verse 26 and 27, I will also laugh at your calamity, God says. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. The consequences, the consequences of the actions of those who reject God. You know, one little note I want to make here, one little side note. The proverb speaks of the consequences of our actions, the consequences of our good actions and the consequences of our bad actions. Now, neither one of these are to be considered necessarily promises of God. It's sort of instructional. If followed, better results will occur than if they're ignored. So we see here that God says, God says, you laugh at me, you mock me, you reject me. Eventually they'll reap the penalties of their decisions. Closing up in verses 28 through 33, they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For for the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and be secure without the fear of evil. God will eventually give them over to what they really desire. 
he will eventually reject them as they've rejected him. God's invitation to receive wisdom and instruction will eventually be withdrawn as people continue to reject him. And notice what they desired to do. Instead of following God's way, they desired to follow their own way. They desired to fill their life with their own things instead of what God would have for them. I think it's, I think it's important as we finish up this, this first proverb, this first chapter, to understand everything that we're going to be learning through the book of Proverbs is for us then to pour out and give forth to, to others, to other believers, and also to an, a, an unbelieving world. A world who's seeking and searching for everything except from, from the one that can actually give them what's best. So I think for us, as we walk this walk, as we learn ourselves what God's Word has to say, that we can give it to others and, and uh, hopefully that invitation, they'll take, they'll take God up on it. You know, and He won't have to uh, withdraw that that offer, he won't have to reject them as, as they've rejected him. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.